0: Young, back to throw, in trouble, he's going to be sacked, no, gets away, he runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to
1: the 20, the 50, the 10, he dies, touchdown 49ers! The 2017 NFL Draft is officially in the books. How did the 49ers do? This is Al Sacco and Zane, are we ready to break this down or what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, We're really excited because when there's a big moment for the 49ers, as a fan, as anyone who follows the team, who's the, who's the one guy you want to talk to? Who's the one guy would you want to call up and, and just get the inside scoop on all this stuff? And if You, follow you, couldn't, the 40- you
0: couldn't get that guy, but you got me instead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know that voice. If you follow the 49ers, our guest today needs no introduction. He's in his 23rd year of covering the team, now with NBC Bay Area, and he hosts the 49ers Insider Podcast. He's also a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, which is uh, it's just impressive. Mr. Matt Mayoko, Matt, how are you?
0: Al, I'm doing well. Zane, how are you guys doing?
1: Doing good, Matt. Doing, doing Matt. great. Doing great.
0: Um, all right,
1: Matt. So looking at the first round, the, the 49ers absolutely fleeced the Bears um, just to move back one spot. And then they, take, they appear to take the guy that they wanted all along in Solomon Thomas. Do you think Thomas was the right choice at three overall? And what do you see his role being in the defense?
0: Yeah, I do think he was the right choice to throw. I don't think he was perfect, you know, for the Forty Niners. I think ideally, at that spot, you'd get somebody who's a pass rusher, you know, someone who's going to be getting you twelve sacks a year. Uh, Thomas is a a versatile guy, so he can play at several different positions on that offense, on that defensive line, and, and play in the base situations, play in nickel. But, you know, I, th- I think the 49ers, you know, clearly they wanted to trade back. Uh, but uh, how far they traded back would then determine where they set their sights next. And, you know, going into the draft, I thought that you know, they would take Thomas at at, at three uh, were, or at two. And I figured they'd also take him at three if they moved back just one spot. But if they moved back further, you know, then that opens up you know, the possibility of a safety or a cornerback or in my mind, Reuben Foster as well. Uh, and maybe even a running back, you know, maybe Christian McCaffrey, if, if they trade back to to seven or eight, if Carolina came back, I'd heard Carolina had wanted to come up, but I'm not sure who they would have come up for. Um, a lot of people thought that obviously they wanted Christian McCaffrey and they took him at eight, but who would they have come up for? So, but I do think that, where the 49ers were drafting, uh, that, was, that was the best choice for them. And uh, you know, the, the one guy also, you, you knew they wanted, you knew that, that uh, he was somebody that, that when he visited them several weeks ago, uh, they liked a lot about him. They also knew there was some problems. Not a perfect draft candidate but they felt like they could manage some things with him, and that's Reuben Foster. Uh, I don't think that they believed he would still be there so late in the first round at number 31, uh, but when, when he remained there for a while, that provided the 49ers with the opportunity to go up and get him and not really give much up in return, just one of those kind of throwaway fourth-round picks that they also got in that Chicago trade, uh, moving back just one spot.
2: Hey Matt, Zane here. And uh before I ask my question, I, I uh, just want to say it's great to to talk to you again. We we had a chance to speak a little bit at Keysar Day last year and and you are truly one of the good guys in the industry and, and it's great it's great to have you on.
0: Well thank you. I appreciate that.
2: And uh, you mentioned Ruben Foster and he was there at 31 and and the shoulder seemed to be a concern with, with some people as did the dilute sample. But have you got any inkling as to how that shoulder is now? Any, any whispers of how it's going to be? We've heard rumors that, that uh, he's going to need a second surgery on the shoulder. Is, is that really what's the case?
0: Well, there's, there were some reports about that. Uh, Reuben Foster says Absolutely not. He says he's about ninety percent. He says he feels ready to go, and that if he if they let him, he'd like to get out there and and get on the practice field Thursday, Friday, or I guess Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when the Forty Nineers hold their rookie minicamp. Uh, he says no surgery required, and that he expects to be fully cleared by the start of training camp. Uh, I, I know the Forty Nineers have access to all those medical records. Uh, they brought him in to, to check him out. A couple of weeks ago, I don't think they gave him a physical. They didn't send him over to Stanford uh, to check out that that shoulder and, and and see exactly where he was. But when he went back for the for the medical recheck to Indianapolis, um, you know they have all that information. It's my impression right now, based on what uh, based on talking to Ruben yesterday, that he will not require surgery. He had a, a torn rotator cuff that he sustained in the semifinal game against Washington. He played with it in the championship game and he says that you know he was he was running on adrenaline. I, I would imagine they gave him a, a pain block injection as well. And I told him, Boy, I bet it was sore the next day and he goes, The next day? Heck it was it was killing me when I got on the bus after the game. So he had the surgery and uh, everything I can gather based, you know, from him and just the, the team talking about it is that they don't believe that he will require an additional surgery.
2: So, uh, if you could give people an insight, you said you talked to Ruben Foster, if you could give people an insight of, of what Solomon Thomas and Ruben Foster are like, what are those guys like in person? What are those guys like to talk to?
0: I would say that those two guys probably can't be any more different, you know, than, uh, You know, you got—I mean, kind of the stereotypical Stanford guy. Uh, Maybe not so stereotypical. I mean, this guy is—is everything I gather. He's—he's all about football. Uh, Obviously, a a smart guy coming from Stanford could have a life, uh, a a very productive career outside of football. But he loves the sport. He's uh, very polished, and I think Reuben Foster is kind of rough around the edges. And. You know, we've seen that just in the last couple of months, you know, with the incident at the combine, uh, getting sent home after, you know, some kind of verbal altercation with the, the hospital worker. Uh, we saw it with a diluted sample. Uh, we saw it with his decision to have a, a vaporizer company sponsor his draft party. Um, you know, when you talk to him, uh, he, he's, he seems to have a very good, temperament, uh, kind of a fun guy, somebody who appears to really enjoy life. I mean, I don't don't know if you had a chance to hear him talk about the story when he got the phone call from John Lynch while the uh, New Orleans Saints had called him to tell him that they're going to take him at number 32. Uh, It was pretty darn funny. And from what I understand, when he came into the 49ers uh, a month ago, uh, people loved him. You know, you can. He's one of those guys. I, I kind of compare him a lot to Frank Gore, and I did hear that uh, comparison a lot within the Forty ers That he's the guy that you know, kind of had a rough upbringing, a uh, little rough around the edges, but somebody who is absolutely passionate about football. So, in the sense that you, know, you have you have these two guys from from different upbringings, certainly different uh, backgrounds in football. Uh, they they seem to hit it off pretty well, and I, I think Ruben Foster is the kind of guy that a lot of people, when they get to know him, are they're going to be rooting for him. You know, he obviously faced some obstacles in life, and uh, he he's he's not going to let um, I, I can't imagine he'll let anything now sidetrack him from what his passion is, and, and that's playing football, but. The forty nineers are very cognizant of the of the the belief that uh, you know they, they have to kind of uh mentor him and, and make sure that he stays on the right track and doesn't do anything off the field that will impact what they believe and I think what everybody who saw him in college believes will be a, a very productive NFL career.
1: Matt, the big surprise I thought was the quarterback selection of CJ Beathard. I don't think anybody saw it coming. I don't think it was on anybody's radar, especially in the, in the third round. What do you make of that selection? And is this someone they can see as a starter or is this a project pick? What can we make of Beathard?
0: Well, the one thing I, I was thinking about this, you know, John Lynch was so upfront with, uh, the 49ers, uh, interaction with the top five quarterbacks in this draft. You know, he he went to, uh, I think they had a personal workout with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, actually, I think they they went to his pro day, and then they had a personal workout with him. Uh, they had a personal workout with Deshaun Watson. They went to Kaiser's pro day and had meetings with him. And they went to Patrick Mahomes's pro day. They brought Davis Webb in the facility in Santa Clara for a personal workout. And all of those, John Lynch was either front and center, or he was quick to divulge all that information. And while all that was going on, I was thinking in the back of my mind, they're going to take a quarterback at some point in this draft. Most likely the first two days, maybe it goes as far as the fourth round. But my inkling all along was that the quarterback they ended up with was going to be a quarterback that we'd never heard them associated with. Um, I kind of thought that it could be Nathan Peterman based on uh, the style of play uh, that he, under which he performed in college. Um, I've gotten the sense that uh, Kyle Shanahan wants to see the quarterback that, that he was going to take uh, play his kind of style in college, so they the kind of got the outline of it correct, but uh, they went with CJ Beathard instead. And the the thing that I always kind of laugh at is, you know, the the, the draft experts saying, "Oh my gosh, what are they doing? That's a, that's a horrible pick." Well, I, face, I I kind of think that that Cal Shanahan is a pretty good offensive coach. And probably knows a great more, a great deal more about the kind of quarterback he's looking for than, than I do or anybody else. So, you know, this is clearly one where you just say, okay, I mean, that, that's that's the guy that he wanted. And Bethard was the sixth quarterback taken uh, behind the five guys that I mentioned. I got to believe that he probably ranked second or third uh, on Shanahan's list as far as quarterbacks that, that he would have wanted in this draft. So uh, he's a project. I, I would kind of liken him to uh, Kirk Cousins when when Washington drafted him, when Kyle was the, the offensive coordinator and Kyle's dad was the, the head coach. They're not expecting anything from him year one. Uh, I, I don't know that they're expecting anything from him even down the road, but they wanna give him a chance to develop and, and see what they got. Um, my thought is that you know this year in many ways was all about setting things up and will continue to be setting up things for next year. So, you know, they didn't pay the price to take a quarterback high in this draft. They didn't pay the price to sign a or trade for a quarterback such as Kirk Cousins. Next year, the whole world opens up to them as far as trying to land that quarterback in the future could be cousins in a trade could be draft pick. So that's where I see, I think that that Beathard is going to be a project that they'll uh, look to develop and see where it goes.
2: And Matt, you talked about a little bit about them stockpiling some picks for next year and John Lynch did a heck of a job of, of trading back and, and accumulating those picks. and, Do you feel like the fact that nobody really knew his negotiating style played into that as well? Nobody could really read him and nobody really knew what he was thinking between the lines. Do you feel like him kind of not being known by the rest of the league worked his benefit?
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. I I think in a lot of ways that the 49ers position in this draft at number two and I, I'm under the impression, in, in case unless there's you know some major smoke screens going on, that uh, there were multiple teams who were interested in trading up to number two. So once you have teams that are are willing to move up there, and you kind of know which way you know how much they're they're willing to to spend to get up there, um, you know that's when Frog Morate and the, and the the draft pick trade chart. Case over. Uh, well, what I found interesting was that Ryan Pace, the general manager of the Bears, about ten days ago, uh, called up John Lynch and said, "Hey, look, you know, you have the second pick, we have the third pick. We're going to be, you know, next to each other throughout this draft. Uh, well, let's just kind of keep each other in mind and, and work together. You know, in case I can help you with something, you can help me with something. Uh, maybe we can we can get together and." and Kind of help each other out while also looking out for the best interests of our own team. And, you know, th- this is a case where, you know, the-, the Bears wanted Mitchell Trubisky. And who's to say that in five years we're not talking about, man, 49ers really screwed up by not taking Mitchell Trubisky number two? Who, who knows? Who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, but wh- what's you know, as a new kid on the on the block, uh I think everybody in the league knows John Lynch, you know, from his time at, at Fox, uh, you know, going around certainly the NFC. And so uh, teams were teams took the phone call. You know, teams were quick to call him, such as the the Minnesota Vikings uh last night or on, on, on uh, Friday night, uh, talking about, you know, moving up, and, and the 49 moved up with Minnesota to, to take Beathard at that point. So I mean, he's a very social guy and, and, a, and an easy-to-talk-to guy, and um, I, I think that helped him more than anything. I, I don't know that there was any uh, – any situations where he tried to cover things up or mislead teams you know that gets around pretty quickly and that that's probably the the quickest way to to create a, a mistrust within the league so no i I think he he played this the the way he should have and certainly with that number two overall pick to parlay it into the the player you want as well as a fourth round pick this year a third round pick uh next year um I, I think he did it the right way, and I don't think he burned bridges uh, in the process, which is you know, making it the, the best of both worlds.
2: And real quick, what was Parag's role in all this? You mentioned how he was in charge of the trade chart and everything. What was his role in all this?
0: Yeah, so a little background: in two thousand one, Parag Marathe was working with a Bain Company, uh, a uh, uh, it's kind of it's a firm that does analysis. And the 49ers hired him or hired Bain to take a look at the draft pick trade chart. And that that's the old draft pick trade chart that had been around forever that uh, the Cowboys developed. And, and according to Prague, one of the last times I talked to him, he said that nobody really knew where that chart came from or what it was based on or anything. So Bill Walsh hired Bain to Bill Walsh was, was working with the 49ers then as, as the general manager and Terry Donahue, assistant general manager. So they hired this company to look at that draft pick trade chart and come up with their own. And so it was a three-month project, and uh, Parag kind of spearheaded that effort. After it was over, the 49ers uh, then said, hey, uh, Parag, we want you to work for us. And so he left Bain and became... Uh, part of the 49 organization, which, you know, he stayed with for uh, a decade and a half now and and has moved up the the ladder. He's now, uh, what is he, executive vice president of chief strategy officer. I think that's his title. And so every year he kind of reworks that chart and had, you know, the 49 have their own chart. And so when it comes time to talk about a trade, you know, he punches the numbers in there of of where the Forty ers would be trading up to, what would be uh the best compensation to give the other team, or uh the way it worked out this time was uh where the Forty ers were trading back to and what they should be asking uh for compensation from the other team. So uh he was the one, uh from what I understand, once John Lynch decided the best move was to trade back one spot, and Kyle Shanahan was was informing uh, Lynch that there's no way the Bears would be trading up from, from three to two to get the defensive lineman the 49ers wanted. Uh, once the 49ers were pretty secure in that, then it was left up to Prague Marate to hammer out the details on what they'd get in return.
1: All right, Matt, one last quick question. If you had to give a grade right now, could you give a grade to this draft?
0: You know, I, that's something I really don't I, – I, I've never really done that. I mean, here, here's my – I tweeted this early this morning that, you know, most people kind of feel like uh, if you've heard of the guy and you predicted the guy to go to that team in that spot, it's a great draft pick. And if you didn't think that the guy would go there, then it's a horrible draft pick. Um, I, I really like to let this thing play out because, uh, I mean, if I were to give you a, a, a grade on the first two picks, you know, I'd say outstanding because, you know, I expected uh, Thomas to go uh, two to the 49ers. He ended up going three to the 49ers. And I expected if the 49ers traded back to 12 uh, with uh, the Browns, uh, they would get Reuben Foster there and they'd be happy. And to get both of those guys, I mean, that's that's a win-win. That's a A++ plus in the words of Jim Harbaugh. And then you know the the quarterback I expected to be, or I thought, you know, it, it pretty good chance it, that it'd be Nathan Peterman. But then when you hear uh, Kyle Shanahan talk about why they took him and and what he saw, then you go, okay, well that that certainly makes a lot of sense. I, I think the Forty draft in, in all made a lot of sense. Um, the, the the Witherspoon Witherspoon pick, Akella Witherspoon from from Colorado, I thought. You know, if the knock on him is that he doesn't like to tackle or he's not a very good tackler, uh, not a real physical guy, I thought, okay, well, you know, how does that fit really the Forty ers defense? I would think that they would want the physical guy. So I'm a little bit, uh, I, I question that that move a lot. But then, you know, when John Lynch is the one pulling the trigger on that, uh, you have to think that a guy who was basically, you know, a box safety. His entire career, and and came oh so close to making the Hall of Fame this year. You think that he certainly knows what he wants. So, I, I would say this: I mean, the Forty ers put together their draft board based on their own feelings. You know, it wasn't on Mel Kiper's board or Todd McShay's board or or Mike Mayock's board or my board or anybody else's board. And then they stuck to it, and they got the the ten picks that they entered this draft with. Uh, not necessarily in the order uh, that they 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 were uh, scheduled to take those picks, and then they added a couple more picks for next year. So um, I, I would I would have to believe that they come out of this draft feeling pretty good about themselves. Now, you know, over the next three or four years, we'll see if uh, if their initial homework and in, in building that draft board. Uh, is, you know, if they, uh, if they made the, the right choices in that way. But um, I would think that they, when you look at the roster, you can't help but think that they're a better team, a much better team uh, depth-wise, uh, and even at some starting positions uh, now than they were just three days ago.
1: Good stuff, Matt. Thank you so much for the time today, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon.
0: All right, Al. Zane, thanks for having me.
1: You're the best. Thank Matt. You. Thanks. So great to have Matt on. Matt, Matt's the best. Not, not only is he fantastic at his jobs and you, you were saying he, he's such a nice guy and he, he really is. When the first time I met him, um, it was in the press box in, in Buffalo and I saw him, he just, he had his back turned to me. So he was, he was walking the other way. And I like ran up to him, you know, like, Hey, Matt turned around. He's got a plate of food. He was you know, ready to go eat. And I'm like, Oh, I, I know I, I don't want to bother this poor guy, you know? And I was like, Hey, you know, I just wanted to introduce myself and say hi. Um, and he was great. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, Al 49ers Web Zone. And, and he sat and, and we talked for like 10 minutes. And it wasn't me asking, oh, hey, you know, what about, what about this? What about that? He was asking, where are you from? How long have you been doing this? You know, what are your plans? He was so great, so engaging. And he made it a point to really sit and talk to me for a while. And he really is. He's, he's the best at his job. He's so good. And he's, he's just as good of a person.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, you know, he, look, when I said that he is one of the nice guys in the industry, I really didn't mean that because, I met him at Keysar day for the first time last year. And it was a similar situation where, where we we were just kind of waiting there, me and, you know, our colleague, Aaron Erickson from web zone, we were, we were there and just kind of in one of the end zones. And, and Matt was standing there and we kind of walked up to him and talked to him. And, and, and he was totally just asking about what we're from, what we do. And it was just our first time covering a practice. And he told us a little bit about his family and, you know, just, just the nicest guy. And, He's kind of like the holy grail for 49er insider information for me. I I don't really look to the national media at all because they don't, they're not in touch, but you know, guys like Matt Mayoko and Matt Barrows, who we also had on, who's also a gentleman and a a really great guy. These are the guys that, that 49ers fans should really kind of tune into besides us, obviously. (laughs) Throw us right in there with them. Yep. There you go. Of course. Of course.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's break down um, a little bit about these picks. Cause I know we've both been going like crazy on this draft for a while. And um, we've been tweeting like crazy and breaking this down. We had our mock draft, which we kind of did kind of decent on. Um, I guess um, I thought I saw the Niners sign that t- the tight end there from Louisville that I had in my mock draft. So I think you and I did okay. We 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 were kind of on the right track. Um, but let's talk first. Neither one of us were really big on the Solomon Thomas pick. Well, the rumors of him going to the Niners, and then it happened. And I've come around to it, and I know you felt strongly. And I want to see if you've come around at all on Thomas. How are you feeling about him?
2: You know, I've I've kind of also come around on him too because I realize that he's not—he's just going to be a piece of the puzzle, right? He's going to be a guy that's going to be lining up next to DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, and he will be depending on what what down and distance it is, and he's going to be another cog in the wheel. And when you put him next to a—and I think Buckner is great—when you put him next to a great defensive lineman it will elevate his own game. So it's almost like in the nineties when the 49ers had Dana Stubblefield and Bryant young, but when Dana Stubblefield left to go to Washington, he was really nothing. So it's that sort of situation where I'm hoping that he's talented enough where his game will elevate as well. He's not going to be a 10 sack guy. I don't think that that's the role that they want from him. They want him to be a versatile defensive lineman that can play any D line spot, depending on the down distance and, and create havoc. And it's, not really like the Armstead pick because the Armstead pick was nobody was really thinking about Eric Armstead as one of the top five players in the draft. A lot of people were thinking about Solomon was were thinking about Solomon Thomas as one of the top five players in the draft. So just based off of that, I think I'm, I'm okay with it. And I'm, I'm frankly, I'm really excited. It's time to move past what, what I've said. And obviously I I was wrong with that. And, and, uh, and I admit that, but I think that, Solomon Thomas is, is going to be a really great addition to the 49ers, and I've truly come around to it. I think I'm right there,
1: too. He's a good player. He, he's versatile. He's going to play that Michael Bennett role. We don't know what Eric Armstead is yet. It was a good. He's, he's a good football player. I'm fine with it. And it, what even makes me more fine with it is the fact that they got Reuben Foster at 31, which to me was, I mean, like we said, he was the second overall pick for us. That's the guy that we wanted it too. for them to come back up and get him at 31 was great. Foster's a guy who who is, he, he's like a missile. He just, I don't think he's going to be as good as Patrick Willis, but he reminds me of Patrick Willis with that sideline to sideline. And he's just all over the field. And if that show, as long as that shoulder is not an issue, I think there's enough around him to keep him in check with Bowman, um, with D'Amico Ryan's linebackers coach. There's a lot of things there that are going to keep him in check. They have a good foundation now in San Francisco he's going to be a pro bowler in my estimation. And to come away with those two guys in the first round, you get two cornerstone pieces of your defense. And I wondered if Thomas Thomas can be a a cornerstone. And I still, I still kind of do. I do. I I guess I don't know what he's going to be, but I know that he's going to be a good player, but those two look like cornerstone guys. And and to get that in the first round, they got two of the top three guys on their board in, in really in a lot of estimations, two of the top three players in the draft. I, I feel like a lot of people, Felt that way that those two guys were that good, so to come away with that first round, like Matt said, I agree with the grades. It's tough because everything's an incomplete until you actually see it come to fruition. But from the looks of things on the onset, a plus for that first round. Unbelievable job by Lynch and company. Yeah, and before
2: I get to Ruben Foster, because you know I'm just gonna gush about him. Uh, how the heck did John Lynch pull off that trade with the Bears? How did he do that? How do you get three picks for moving up one pick? For the Bears moving up one pick, I don't, I, I mean, I can't even fathom doing that as uh, if the 49ers were to do that. I don't know how it would feel about that. You know, they essentially turned the fourth round pick that they got from the Bears into Reuben Foster, mm-hmm. which is
1: unbelievable, mm-hmm. which is amazing. I can't believe he pulled that off. It's a godfather move. It really is. I don't know how he did it. I don't know, you know, if he brought some people with him. I, 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 don't, I don't know how he did it. And, and the Bears, look at it from their from their perspective all right, they feel Trubisky is, is a franchise quarterback. They made it work. But you wonder if really what other offers were out there. Bears were aggressive. That's fine. If if Trubisky is a great quarterback in the next five years, nobody's going to care. But if he's a bust, they're going to say, wow. But but even regardless, such a good job by Lynch. It's like you said, basically that move turned into Ruben Foster. An unbelievable job by Lynch and company. Agreed. And...
2: Speaking of Ruben Foster, everybody knows, all of our listeners know that he has been my draft crush. And I was actually on the phone with my dad at the time. And because uh, it was the end of the, night, end, end of the night, and I'm like, they, they traded up. And I was like, this has to be for Ruben Foster. And I was on the phone with him, and I just started like out of excitement that we, that the 49ers got him. And, and he's like you said, and Matt, Matt Mayoko also mentioned that Ruben Foster is just like a heat seeking missile. And the guy flies around to the ball, and while he's not as transcendent of a linebacker coming out of college as Willis was, it's it kind of goes back to my earlier point where it's about who you surround him with. And if he's playing next to Navarro Bowman, he's going to get better. And when he's put in the right scheme, which I think he is, he's going to get better. And he's playing with a, a bunch of hopefully dominant players on defense on the on the defensive line that will free him up off of off of blockers to be able to go and make plays. So I, I absolutely love the pick. And if the shoulder's is the shoulders good, then he could be the steal of the draft because this guy, he's a plug-and-play linebacker. He's going he's gonna to be there for the next 10 years if, if, if they uh, you know are able to get past some of his off-field issues. Um, I think that there is some maturing to be done, but that you could say that for any college player. So I'm not truly worried about that, but I, I really think that he's going
1: to be a star. First round was great. After that, I don't know that things went exactly how I thought they were going to go. There were definitely some surprises. What did you think of the third round selection in Witherspoon? Was that something you were excited about? Did you think he was a reach? Well, it's interesting because in in our mock drafts, we if
2: if we go back to those, we actually got a lot of these positions right that they addressed, but we didn't necessarily get the order right. So I guess we get partial credit, right? We we get like a 50%. (laughs) I'll
1: take it. I'll take partial credit. Great. Great.
2: (laughs) So Witherspoon is, is really similar to uh, Kevin King, who I had mocked to the 49ers. And in terms of um, length, in terms of speed, they're pretty much the same. They ran the same 40 time. They're both six, three and uh, Witherspoon. He has a little bit, he's less pro ready than King is, but I feel like now if you, if you kind of bring him along slowly, like Dante Johnson has started before. So we may not be asking Witherspoon to uh, to contribute right away, but I, I really like the pick and and I see the fit. He's going to kind of play that Richard Sherman role in Seattle's defense. I'm not saying he's going to be Sherman, but he's he may play that role uh, in terms of where the where they line him up schematically. So I, I really like the pick.
1: Yeah, Richard, that's an interesting comparison. Witherspoon, he's he's a big guy. He's fast. He had 13 pass breakups. Pass breakups in 2016 um, which was tied for the most in the country and he allowed just a 31.8% uh, catch rate those stats according to pro football focus so I think that he's going to be a guy that comes in he, he's going to be a project it may take a couple of years but he, he looks like he's going to be a good fit in that system again and it, it's tough with a lot of these mid-round guys because I didn't know who this guy was 2 weeks ago. You know, I'm like I said in our our draft special I'm not Mel Kiper. I'm not studying guys who were the 150 ranked player that sort of thing. So, it's so almost as these picks happen, you got to study up on them and then see how they're going to fit in to the team. And I see him as a cornerback who who fits in the system and in a couple years down the road he he could really make an impact. And and I think that he could ultimately be a starter. Yeah, there's some issues about his, his tackling, but if he's out there and has good coverage skills, he's a guy that you could be excited about. Now, the big pick of this draft, or, or the one that at least turned the most heads, was the team trading up for C.J. Beathard. And this wasn't a quarterback that anyone had on their radars, especially in the third round. But Matt brought up a good point where he said that When in all the times that he talked to Shanahan, they brought up this quarterback. They brought up that quarterback, and in all the time he thought that you know they're going to pick someone that we have no idea who they are, and they and they did that. They did that. So what what do you see out of Beathard? What what do you see coming from him? It's a it's a really interesting pick, given that Nathan Peterman was still on the
2: board, and Brad Kaya, who went in the in the at the end of the draft, which is a huge shock to me, was still on the board, but. A little background on CJ Beathard. He's he's the grandson of Bobby Beathard, who was the old um, the old Redskins general manager in the 80s. So he was kind of the architect of those Joe Gibbs Super Bowl teams. And he was, uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, he was the architect of those San Diego Chargers teams, including the one that the 49ers beat in the Super Bowl in January of 95. So he's got that football background. He He's lived it. He's aware of it. Uh, he had a better 2015 than a 2016. So I think that he... May kind of needs need a little bit of work uh to get back to his twenty fifteen level, but he's a pocket quarterback. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little bit under the weather still, so I'm I'm playing hurt. So um, I'm, playing I'm playing hurt.
1: Than, I'm I'm playing <laughs> you're doing hurt. Gr- so. You're doing great, man. I know you're struggling and you're you're doing great, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying my best. So um you're an inspiration so, yeah, he, to the to the listeners, Zane. You're absolutely. sick, you're on here, you're you're still on your game, you're doing great, you're doing great.
2: Absolutely. Um so he is, he is kind of a football lifer, and, and, and he's a pocket quarterback, and, he, and Kyle Shanahan said that he's fearless with the ball. And, and if you go back to what Kyle Shanahan was talking about before the draft and what he looks for, he said he wanted a pure pocket passer that's fearless with the ball. And in his most recent press conference, he mentioned that it's not necessarily all on the quarterback if it's an incomplete pass or an interception or the play just doesn't work out. You have to look at the the play as a whole. So if the quarterback is putting the ball where it needs to be and the receiver's not there, that's a that's a totally different sort of scenario, but it goes against the quarterback's completion percentage. It lowers the completion percentage, so it seems like there are a lot of those issues with Iowa's team, and and they're pretty well known that they didn't have a very good team this year. So, the the, the pick probably, in my opinion, could have been made around later, or even a round or two later. But if that was their guy, and that's the guy that they honed in on before the draft, and and he was on their board, I'm I'm fine with that. We're talking about a guy in Kyle Shanahan who's made a lot of good quarterbacks into good quarterbacks in this league so i'm
1: okay with it i've been saying for forever since the day they, hi- they hired shanahan whoever he decides that he wants to be his quarterback i'm all for it how can anybody argue with him at this point how can anybody say oh you know it's a bad pick they reach for him this guy's going to be a bust shanahan knows quarterbacks as good as anyone absolutely as good as anyone so if he looks at this guy and he sees the tape uh, I, how, how how can you argue with it? And Bethard's stats don't jump out at you. He had 17 touchdown passes the past two seasons, so he didn't have prolific years. But I kind of went to school on him today and wanted to find things out about him. And it looks like he, he's definitely a pro style QB and he processes information quickly. He anticipates throws and he throws receivers open. Everything you would want in a quarterback. So when you see these traits in a guy who plays like that, and you, you, you see a guy like Shanahan who could mold a quarterback. Who's not to say that in in two or three years, this guy can come in and be a starter. I I think that he can be. Now, I I still believe that Kirk Cousins is the end game. Maybe I'm living in a fantasy world. I just see him ending up with the 49ers next year. So this all could be a moot point. But we don't know what's going to happen in a year. And Beathard can be a guy that can develop if if you go with Hoyer for a couple years. But the other thing about the quarterback position is the Niners have stockpiled all these picks. And next year is a big year for for quarterbacks coming in the draft. So if they need to maneuver around, they have picks to do that. If there is somebody at the top of the draft that they're like, this guy's a franchise quarterback, they have a lot of picks. And they have a lot of room in the cap next year, too. So they can still continue to build their team and identify that quarterback, whether it's Hoyer for another year, whether they think Bather can be the guy. Or if they're going to go out and make a big move, and they're going to be able to do that. And and that's an exciting thing, and, and it's a smart thing. Now, the next yeah, it's interesting, picks-
2: just to just to oh, no, make a quick point, yeah, make a quick point about uh, another point about CJ Beathard and his position on the roster. It's, isn't it isn't interesting to you that they drafted a guy who a wouldn't be able to start this year, so they could have got Deshaun Kaiser easily, but they but they passed on that opportunity. They didn't want a guy who could start this year, number one, and number two, they didn't want a guy that would threaten Brian Hoyer, and that kind of goes to your point where the end game is is not about finding your franchise quarterback this year the end game is really about next year and it's going to be either Kirk Cousins or like you said one of those draft picks uh, you know Darnold or Rosen coming out of uh, you know Darnold's out of USC and and Rosen out of out of UCLA so I think really like you said the end game is going to be next year with regard to
1: quarterback definitely definitely in the next three picks is, is they continue to build offense for the future kind of all grouped together with me and and they were guys running back Joe Williams. I was familiar with, but the tight end and the wide receiver that they took in the fifth round, I wasn't George Kittle, the tight end out of Iowa and Trent Taylor, the receiver out of Louisiana tech. So again, I don't care what anybody says. Nobody knows about these middle round guys. Nobody's out there watching, you know, Texas tech tape or or whatever Louisiana tech tape. I'm sorry. To, to know about Trent Taylor, you know, as far as casual football fans or, or casual writers, obviously the guys who study the draft do. But so these are guys you got to go to school on and, and again, see how they fit into the system of of your team. And looking at these guys, one, Joe Williams. Now, Williams had some issues, and I, I know he's got kind of a cool story. But if you look at him, he played nine games last year, and he had 210 carries, 1,407 yards, and 10 touchdowns, which is carrying the load. Now, he's not, or at least doesn't seem to be, in terms of statistics, a great pass catcher. He only had 20 catches in the last two years, so I was a little worried about that. But he did have 22 runs um, of 15-plus yards, which were the most um, from draft-eligible running backs. So without a running back other th- uh, than Mike Davis signed after the season, he looks like a long-term answer for this team.
2: Yeah, I, I actually like to pick a lot. And, and you mentioned his story. And he, his sister passed away a couple years ago. And, and he actually walked away from football because of it. Uh, he and his sister were really close and i encourage people to to read up on him and read his story because it's, it it truly really is inspirational and you know he took a couple uh, a little bit of time to to get his life back in order and and he was able to come back to football and he was able to come back and and at times he was dominant like the Foster Farms bowl he had over 200 rushing yards in that game so he was he was dominant in on the big stage at times so and he's he ran a 44140 at the combine so he's a guy who's got some quickness to him and he's he's an explosive back And we know the Shanahan's in their history with mid round backs. You have to, you have to believe that this guy will be a legitimate candidate to get some serious carries. Look at what Kyle Shanahan did with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman in Atlanta. Those guys weren't first rounders. You know, these guys were mid round backs that he turned into really, really productive running backs. So I really have, have high hopes for, for Williams. I think that he's going to be a really, really good piece to the puzzle, but you know, you know they, this really puts everybody else in the running back group on notice. And that includes Carlos Hyde, too. Like he's he's kind of the bell cow, but I don't think you're going to see him really carry the load this year like he has in years past. I think he's being a much more balanced offense. So really, it's, it's open competition, which John Lynch has said all along. And he tweeted out today, he tweeted out, may the best man win. And that's truly really what it is, especially at the running back position. And
1: Kyle's going to use multiple backs, and they really didn't have... Great players behind Hyde. Depending what you think of Hightower, Harris, you know he's had he's had some moments. But again, I I don't even know that he is going to make the team. I really don't. So coming in and, and getting a guy like that, you could see uh, Williams and Hyde really carry the load. Now George Kittle, I, I thought this team needed a tight end, and and with the rumors of them wanting to trade Vance McDonald this weekend, and I guess theoretically that could still happen. It looks like they're looking to go in a different direction at the position and. Kittle was interesting. He he's was the second highest run blocking tight end. Um, he had the second highest grade according to uh pro football focus um, for run blocking for tight ends. And he only allowed one QB pressure in the last two seasons. So the, the guy can block. He's a terrific blocker and he's very versatile. Um, I saw him compared to um, Cooley who used to play uh, for the Washington Redskins where he can be an H back. He can kind of line up all over the place. Now he didn't have great stats in college throughout his collegiate career. He had 48 catches, 737 yards. He did score 10 touchdowns, but not prolific numbers. But what you're seeing with him is, is it that versatility that, that Kyle Shanahan likes. And he, he's going to be, I, I think, a very solid second tight end. I really think he can make an impact. Now, I do believe the 49ers still need that first tight end. They, they need a, a legitimate starter. I'm not sold so much on McDonald, although he's had some moments. But Kittle is going to be a good piece to the offense. and I think he's going to make the team and, and, and be a piece of the team
2: yeah I really I, I like that pick because he kind of reminds me of that Delaney Walker sort of mold. He's not as fast as Delaney Walker was, but you know this guy ran a four five two with the forty at the combine, and that's pretty quick for a tight end. So he's got a lot of versatility. He's not like a big lumbering guy. He's an athletic tight end. He's a red zone threat. And again, when you're when you're in a really good offense, you don't need to be a blue chip player coming in to be successful in an offense it's that scheme and that offense that makes you a blue chip player. So I think that they're hoping for that same sort of, uh, effect with Kittle where he has a lot of these sort of physical attributes that they can capitalize on, create mismatches. And I think that when you don't have a lot of blue chip talent on your team already, you kind of have to outsmart the opponent and, and schematically, uh, create mismatches that, that you can exploit. And a guy like Kittle, you'll be able to do that with him. You know, he's got some good size on him too. And, uh, I like the pick. I understand it. And, and I think that it's a good pick. I had a tight end going in my mock draft. It was later on, but you know, I, I still understood the need and the pick. And Al, I just want to point out that the 49ers traded the number 67 pick to the Saints for next year's, their next year's second round pick which is another great phenomenal move by John Lynch. They had back-to-back picks in the third round. Mm-hmm. They traded the second of those picks to the Saints. And now that enabled them to have, we talked about it earlier, five picks in the first three rounds next year.
1: John Lynch was making moves. Bill Walsh would have been proud from the things that he did. One of the picks, or the the last pick of that offense that I wanted to go in, again, another guy I didn't know anything about was this Trent, Tay- Trent uh, Taylor. And John Lynch said he thought, or I'm sorry, Kyle Shanahan said he thought he was um, one of the best slot receivers, or he might have even said the best slot receiver in the draft. He's a small guy, and Shanahan likes those small receivers. Niners do need a bigger receiver at some point. They need that big guy on the outside, and I think that's something they'll address next year. But T- Taylor's really interesting to me. He returns punts, and, and he can be that guy in the Niners this year. He averaged 10.2 yards on 17 punt returns last year. His stats as a receiver were kind of unbelievable when you look at him. QB's had 158 rating when targeting him, and he only dropped four of 142 catchable passes, which is insane. And he caught 136 balls for 1,803 yards and 12 touchdowns in 16, 99 catches for 1282 and nine and 15. He's, he was a a big time producer and he was prolific. And and when you get, we have a head coach now that when you get players like this, he's going to get the best out of them. He's going to put them in situations to play their roles. And he's an exciting pick. I think it spells the end of Bruce Ellington. I don't think Ellington's going to be on the team. And the receiver position is going to be interesting to me because the the Niners have these holdovers, the Aaron Burbridge, the DeAndre Smelters, um, Eric Rogers, Bruce Ellington. You look at their roster, Pierre Garçon isn't going anywhere. Goodwin isn't going anywhere. Uh, Elgic Robinson isn't going anywhere. Curley isn't going anywhere. So that's four receivers you're starting out with right away. So, only another one or two are going to make the team. And you'd have to think Taylor has the inside track on that. We may see, other than Curly, an all new receiving corps next year.
2: Yeah, I, I actually really, really like this pick. And for those who haven't seen Trent Taylor play, I highly encourage you to watch highlights of him. And this guy was just tearing it up. He actually led the nation in receiving last year, well, this past year. And you put the stats out there, which is kind of hard to believe because. Uh, he comes from a Louisiana Tech. Is not like a uh, receiving sort of powerhouse wide receiver powerhouse school, but you know this guy. I'll call him the slot machine because that's where he does. That's where he does the majority of his work out of. This guy is Wes Welker or Julian Edelman reincarnated, pretty much. And he's going to probably probably play that same sort of role with the Forty ers It would be a slot receiver, operate in space, uh, in short spaces, and kind of be a safety net for the quarterback, Brian Hoyer, whoever it may be going forward. And I I really like the pick because he's versatile. And that's kind of the theme of the team right now is it's it's A, it's competition, is B it's versatility. He can return punts like you said. So you really don't need to rely on other guys to you don't really need to specifically get a kick return or punt return guy. You get a guy who can play another position, like legitimately play in another position. And you mentioned that Bruce Ellington that, yeah, it's probably, probably the end of him and he had another injury in minicamp and he wasn't able to participate. So I, I feel like really it's going to be a totally new receiving core. It's going to be a lot of guides that we haven't seen before uh, as 49ers fans, aside from Curly and maybe Garcon. But I think that in this offense, Kyle Shanahan knows what he wanted. And this was one of those picks where it fits, it fits the
1: scheme perfectly. All right. Out of the final three picks, sixth and seventh rounders, a lot of these guys, obviously, they have a hard time making teams, unless you're Tom Brady and you become one of the best quarterbacks ever. But usually these guys have hard times making teams. So out of the final three picks, DJ Jones, defensive, defensive tackle out of Mississippi, PETA, I don't even know how to say this guy's last name, Tia Pinu. I don't know, is that close enough? Um, that, that
2: was that was close. I, that I was that close. I was. I was, I was waiting. I was wanting to see. Yeah, I was wanting to see you squirm a little bit with that name.
1: <laughs> How do you say it?
2: It's uh Tomo Penu. Did you like write that out like, phonetically? I I phonetically. I'm like looking at it. I'm like phonetically trying
1: to trying to Figure get out. through it. <laughs> Better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I probably should have looked that up before we started. But anyway, yeah. He he's we a can, leader. We can He'll, call him p- p- We T. Yeah, P to T. Yeah. That's what we're going to call him. Um, he looks like he's going to be a candidate for the Leo and then Adrian Colbert, defensive back out of Miami. Do any of those three stick out to you?
2: It's, it's interesting. All three of them actually do. And I think all three of them will actually make the team. Really? And I'll tell you why. Yeah, I'll tell you why. So DJ Jones is an interesting guy. He he came from Ole Miss. He's not he's not like a a pass rushing sort of D-tackle. He's, he's a block eating D-tackle. He's 6'1", 319. And He's going to be that D tackle depth behind Dial and uh, and Mitchell, and his job is basically going to be to eat up blocks to free up our linebackers and the other defensive ends. And if you look at, I keep going back to the Seattle's defense is being patterned after. If you go back to Seattle's defense, their defensive tackles don't pick up sacks. They don't pick up a lot of sacks. If you look at their statistics. They don't, they're not huge sack guys. What they do is they eat up blocks to free up Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill and anybody else who they choose to blitz. And those guys kind of do the cleanup work. So that's, that's kind of the role that he's going to play. He's, he's going to be a guy that eats up blocks, eats up space to free up linebackers and the defensive ends. So I, I like that pick a lot. I think that he's going to, he's going to make the team.
1: Interesting. Very Interesting. Yeah, I liked from what I read about uh, our buddy Peta, he said he had 52 QB pressures in the last year and 82 pass rush snaps. Um, and l- like you said about Jones, um, he had 18 run stops in 2015 and, and 13 and 16. Now, as, as far as the corner that they took Colbert, um, from what they said, they're going to try him at corner. I guess he can play safety too. So again, there's that word again, versatile. So we'll see what happens with those guys. Excuse me. Overall, I, I was really happy with what they did in this draft. Not only the players that they took, the trades that they made. Again, I, I think grades are tough, too, just because everything's an incomplete until you see these guys on the field. If I had to give them a grade, considering everything, I, I would probably give them an A, I think, based on their first round alone. <laughs> I mean, if you come out with those two guys, it's a pretty great draft. So I think New Regime... There were some picks that you could say were reaches or what were they doing. But when you look at scheme fits and what the team is trying to do and the players they took in, in terms of their scheme, what their identity is, I think it's an A.
2: Yeah, I, I really like, and before I give my grade, the, you know, the last two guys they picked, these, both of these guys, I, I want to do them uh, justice as well and, and, and kind of address them too. So pita T, he had nine sacks in college in the last year. So he had nine sacks in 2016. So he's he can get to the quarterback and uh, Adrian Colbert he he actually tweeted out today that about how every team that passed on him is gonna he's gonna make them pay. So he's already got a chip on his shoulder. So they've drafted a bunch of guys that and he he will definitely uh, have a chance to make it on special teams. And when you have guys that you draft that can make it on special teams as opposed to signing uh, to go to go go play special teams, it's it helps your cap because obviously we know that the veteran minimum is more than the rookie minimum. So in that sense it's it's a really smart move. But getting to the grades it's it was a really really interesting draft not just because it was John Lynch's first draft but because of the way things played out. Ruben Foster kind of fell into their laps, almost really fell into the laps. They had to jump New Orleans to get him, but they really only had to give up a, an extra fourth round pick to get Ruben Foster which is which is phenomenal and just like you said because of that it's an A. But I ran a poll this afternoon of uh, 49ers fans on Twitter, and 63% of 49ers fans say that it's an A. 33% say it's a B. Two percent say it's a D, a C, and for some reason, two percent thought it was a D. But it was I, Trent, think, Trent, Trent I think Trebalky. I think Trembalki and his his uh, you know yeah. his family like they, they thought it was a D. <laughs> <laughs> there are no ACL projects. No ACLs.
1: You call That's that a, a draft?
2: That that is that is the first time in a while we can say that there's no ACL project in the draft, which is
1: great. I always picture, and I tweeted this. I I might have said this before. You know, at the end of Anchorman, did you ever see Anchorman? I did. Okay, you know when Will Ferrell's like he's got the beard and he's just a a mess of a human being, and he's like milk was a bad choice. Remember that? And he's in the bar, and like that's how I picture out I don't know what he's doing, but that's how (laughs) I like to picture him. Just he's got a beard. And he's in a bar and he's slamming his fist on the table and he's just <laughs> getting arguments with locals about that. You don't need quarterbacks or ACLs to win football games. That's, just... that's what he's doing. He's slamming <laughs> shots. He's drinking like PBRs, not even anything good. Just, just a a human being in, 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 in like Nevada or something. I don't know. Oh, that, that's, how, that's how I picture Trent these days. <laughs> I can, I can see that happening too, but
2: you know, I wonder what his grade was for this draft, but my grade, I would I would have this I would give this draft an A minus and the reason why I give the the, the minus is because I felt like um, Brad Kaya was the better uh, quarterback in terms of him and CJ Beathard as a knock against CJ Beathard because I think that he will be a really really neat kind of project for Kyle Shanahan to work with but um, I really like what they did they literally they addressed every single position that they needed to address in this draft they got everything that they needed in terms of depth, in terms of star power, in terms of playmaking ability, they got everything that they needed. And when you have a draft like that and you come out with, from that draft with extra picks for the next year, I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. And no, nobody's going to get an A+. plus, So obviously I would give this a solid A to A-, minus in terms of John Lynch's first draft. And that's, that's the best that you could ask for. Absolutely. All right, Zane, good stuff, buddy. Go get some rest. Yeah, I'm going to try to be alive for the next podcast and uh, <laughs> try not to cough in the
1: ears of all of our listeners. So I apologize yeah. for that. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening. Hope everybody enjoyed the draft and we will talk to everybody soon.
0: Peace.